Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, a few years ago here at the New Culture Forum, we had a Smith lecture, a lecture we do every year, which is all about the growing problem of censorship on social media. Then we were talking, this is four years ago, we were talking about things such as shadow banning and losing your followers and everything. But in the past couple of weeks, we've really gone to a whole new level. Obviously, I'm talking about President Trump being thrown off all social media platforms effectively. This has shown really to a wider public the extraordinary power of big tech. How big actually is the threat that they pose to free speech? And for that matter, what in fact can we do about it? Not just the public, but people like us who do shows like this. Well, with me to discuss this, I'm very pleased to have the co-host, comedian, Konstantin Kissin of Trigonometry, uh, who's been on the show before, Tom Slater from Spite Online, and Bradley Strotton. Um, I want to start, if I may, Konstantin, with, with you. you. You've said, I've been very struck by a couple of your tweets recently, and you were talking about, you know, having had Russian heritage, how you explain to people, you know, of what is happening now in the West, what maybe, you know, they were used to under Soviet Russia and uh, how we in fact are losing various values that in fact, you know, we once took for granted. Um, do you think it is, do you think that it is that serious? I, I do think it's that serious and the direction of travel has been very, very bad for quite some time. But I think one of the things that uh, nobody even in the Soviet Union quite imagined is something as powerful and as ever-present, omnipresent as uh, big tech. And the power that big tech companies now have is beyond mm -hmm. anything that Joseph Stalin would have imagined in a wet dream. It, it's really quite something. And I think what we have seen, not only in the last week, I've been warning about this, as you know, Peter, yeah. for, for years now, uh, because the power and the opportunity to behave in this way was always there. But what we've seen, particularly the moment for me, was actually something that many commentators in the UK missed. Uh, it was, I believe, in November, just before the election, when uh, the Republicans, who'd clearly been storing up uh, the story about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, and his various dealings in, in Ukraine and China and elsewhere. Uh, they tried to get that story out via the New York Post. That story was censored. Uh, New York Post's Twitter account was suspended. Anyone who attempted to share that story uh, was suspended as well. And I think that was really the moment that big tech made their play. They decided who they wanted to win in the election, and they decided that they were going to use the power that they have uh, in order to in order to do that. Now, I'm not saying that was the deciding factor. My point is they tried to interfere and they got away with it. A, a large section of the establishment jumped on board. They were quite happy. They were quite happy to endorse that sort of action. And so therefore, it's no surprise to me that big tech have now taken the next step, which is to suspend a sitting president's account, uh, to delete the accounts of many other people. We've all seen in the last week that a lot of people have been removed from the platform. A lot of people uh, have been unfollowed from particular accounts and so on. And and the worst of all, of course, is the story with mm. Parler, where we keep being told that if you want freedom of speech, well, build your own Twitter platform. Well, 
while it did that, and of course, immediately their server access, their access to payment processes, their access to bank accounts, their access to absolutely everything was shut down. And so this libertarian argument, which people have been throwing at me for a number of years now, which is, you know, if you don't like Twitter's terms of service, go and join something else. That no longer applies, as I always said it wouldn't, because these companies are natural mm -hmm. monopolies. They will have immense power. And as we've seen in the last week, they will mm -hmm. use it. And uh, what surprises me most about this, Peter, just to finish uh, my point, is how ignorant politicians are of what's, uh, of what's happening. My view, uh, and I know and I, I sound conspiratorial when I say it, and I don't like sounding this way, and I don't like making this point, but given what we've seen now, the question we really should be asking is, are we ever going to have another free and fair election ever again? That is really the question that should be being asked here. And if I were a politician, that would be at the very forefront of my mind, because if I'm a politician, I'm seeing my power seep away into the hands of these bearded, you know, hoodie wearing nerds in Silicon Valley. Tom, do, do you think that when we sort of hear, oh, people are very concerned about what happened with President Trump? example um, but basically it's not just people who would support him it's people on the left too um, are you convinced of that I mean it seems to me that the what you could broadly call the left have been you know rather happy about what's happened with big tech and the president it's been strange how happy they've been about it now for narrow partisan reasons that makes sense um, they've recognized for a long time that silicon valley is in some way a kind of ally in the project of crushing people they happen to dislike i think it'd be disingenuous to suggest that the censorship has been has been anything other than largely in one direction so far but at the same time i am staggered by the naivety or the willingness to go along with this and people who claim to be on the left, as you say, effectively making an ultra-libertarian argument in the favour of the right of these billionaires to be able to control what is now the public square. Um, and just the mere fact that for now they happen to, broadly speaking, align with your own political biases and prejudices doesn't seem to me to still be a good reason to concede the principle that the Jack Dorseys and the Mark Zuckerbergs of this world should hold that kind of monopoly power. I think it's worth saying to people, what's worth kind of pointing out, whilst the censorship has been broadly speaking in one direction, when it's this unwieldy and this huge, like something like big tech and big tech censorship is, there are going to be plenty of people who are going to get caught in the crossfire of this. We've seen that in recent years where you've seen some of these companies, for, for PR reasons, I would imagine, kind of engage in kind of tit-for-tat censorship. You know, you silence some Proud Boys accounts, you go after some anarchists and Antifa accounts at the same time. We've also seen uh, radical feminists are probably the main constituency, I would say, on the left, who have been swallowed up by this kind of censorious machine so far because they happen to believe, as most people do, that there, are, there is such a thing as biological sex. But at the same time, it's quite clear that it is in one direction. But nevertheless, this marks a precedent. And the thing about Donald Trump and the reason that you're even seeing some world leaders, um, Angela Merkel, for instance, President of Mexico, a few others, actually start to get a little bit nervous about this is because they have crossed the line with this. It was pretty much accepted that Donald Trump was going to lose his accounts after he stepped down. The fact that they decided to move before the inauguration is very significant because it's, it's breaching a line that even big tech didn't want to, which was to effectively come between a president and the public. If they're willing to do that, there really is no one else who is safe. And whilst for the moment, as I say, the censorship seems to be in one direction, 
the principle has already been conceded. Yeah, I think that the left are failing to consider the broader implications of big tech censoring the democratically elected president of the United States. If they're willing to do that, then who aren't they willing to uh, censor? And um, yes, I, I think that, as you said, the main constituents on the left are the radical feminists who are simply just advocating for the, the existence of um, biological sex. And yes, yes, it's, it is. It is. It's full of nuance and and obviously difficulties uh, that obviously are, are going to come to light. I, what do you, what did you feel when you saw this uh, whistleblower piece of? Footage that was on social media today. Actually, uh, we're recording this on uh, Friday the fifteenth of Jack Dorsey saying this is actually just the beginning. Constantine. I mean, he said he says this is just the beginning. Was that selectively kind of uh, presented, or should we take him at face value? What he says? Yeah. I, well, obviously, I don't know because I, I wasn't there. I, I I think Project Veritas have done some good work in the past. Uh, I, I was not particularly struck or impressed by this clip that we've seen today. I think he was probably referring to the fact that there would be some other accounts that this is probably from a few days ago, I would imagine. The accounts he's talking about have already been mm. taken down, etc. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, the fact that big tech will, will go further uh, is is something we should all be thinking about. And actually, I wanted to pick up on, on both Tom and Bradley's points uh, about where this is going. If you think about the left and the right in this conversation, and I'm someone who's very much in the center. Uh, everyone who has been quote unquote cancelled in the last couple of years, your J.K. Rowlings, your Graham Linehans, the people like that, that's exactly who's going to be being censored in the future. So the left have a lot to worry about. And that's why I'm so surprised that, as Tom says, they've gone for these very short term tactics on this issue. This is going to come back and bite everybody, everybody, left, right, up, down in the backside and that's why a lot more people should be concerned about it than i think they are at the moment uh, and we've seen this throughout history when, whenever whenever you dig a hole for another you always end up being the one that falls into it and, I, and I just it, it boggles my mind hard as that is nowadays to boggle my mind that people are not mm. seeing do you think that uh brad do you think that sort of younger people are aware of this on social media i mean people just Friends of yours, maybe, who just use it as a, on, a, on a daily basis. Are they aware of censorship at all? I mean, have they been over the past few years? I mean, the people I've spoken to have largely been putting forward the um, kind of private property argument that we, we see endorsed on the left that you know Twitter can do whatever they want because this is their right. private property. But I think that, as we've just discussed, if Twitter are willing to uh, censor the democratically elected president and we, we've seen censorship from all, all kinds of big tech organizations with um you know youtube and uh, talk radio j just a few eight weeks ago yes um that we we really need to be considering what role big tech plays in our regulation of our um, public domain and our, our public sphere and i think that the way that we overcome this is by uh, making big tech accountable for uh, that reg that regulation so uh, and and in order to do that they need to be well, take more of a publisher role so this is the crucial point i'm sorry i'm glad you, you brought this up actually because I, I, I think a lot of people watching you know uh, i would include myself in that they don't know the ins and outs of this thing there is there is the kind there is the thing you brought just brought up bradley which is that essentially there is this 
problem at the centre of everything, isn't there? Are they publishers or are they just a platform? And a lot of this comes down to this particular thing, doesn't it, called Section 230. Can you, um, could you, Tom, explain that? Actually, just explain what it means. What is this section and what is it set up? What is the problem that it has set up? So as you say, Section 230 or 230, as the Americans would refer to it, is largely speaking referred to as the kind of First Amendment of the Internet, by which they mean it removes civil liability for platforms, online platforms, uh, for things that they use as posts, which if you want a big open platform for discussion and debate, is actually a good idea because companies which were in some ways liable for what they use as posted in relation to anything, defamation, incitement, whatever, would either shut down, moderate heavily, or preemptively censor to a very severe degree. But the other part of that law is it also gives them some latitude to moderate, um, even things which are just kind of generally deemed to be otherwise unacceptable. And so you do create this tension, as has been largely more discussed in the US than the UK, but are they a publisher or are they a platform? And various moves from both the left and the right of politics in Congress to suggest that if you're not going to do what we want, then maybe that, sub that status of yours should be revoked. I mean, the thing that's worth remembering is if we want these platforms to not be censorious spaces, you do want them to be platforms, but they've got to be platforms which conform to something resembling a free and open discourse. And the issue is that the, the legal structure that exists in the US, in spite of the First Amendment, um, allows for them to practice censorship, which goes far beyond what, which, what would be acceptable in a court law in the US. And we're increasingly seeing as well, it's censorious writ being extended over all sorts of countries. And what's interesting now is you're starting to get a little bit pushed back to that. We saw uh, Poland recently announcing a law which would effectively allow people to appeal in court if social media companies censored something which wasn't prohibited under Polish law. We're going to see more of that tension play out, I think, because you effectively have, in this sense, censorship being um, extended into areas which even sometimes quite censorious national policies would touch. Mm. And this is something that's really at the heart of this. So it's not as if we want these, I don't think we really want these platforms to be publishers because they would cease to be the kind of online forums that do have value, that do allow for a modicum of discussion. The issue is how do you make them platforms in a genuine sense, I guess, in a genuine free and open way. And given that we've seen as Constantine as reference, the fact that they're willing to crush any competition towards them in the form of parlor or whatever that might offer some sort of viable alternative. The question then does come back as to what form of intervention, regulation, self-regulation, who knows, that would force them to go down a line that was, that was more liberal in that sense. So that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but we have, whatever conversation we have about this, we have to start from the, the recognition <clears throat> that this is not just neat little websites that we're talking about. These things constitute the public square in the 21st century and their decisions have a material impact on our freedom of speech, if not strictly legal impact on it and whatever discussion we have we have to start by accepting that because there's a lot of people who are deluding themselves by claiming you know it's just like an online forum it's not that it's something far bigger and we have to take it very serious what what stage actually tom is the polish proposal at it's not law yet is it it's not law it's, as far as i can tell it's just been proposed so far what's kind of interesting is it almost goes in the opposite direction of some of the laws that we've seen in Europe in recent years. You know, Germany had the Net DG law, which was effectively putting pressure on social media companies to take down illegal content, almost in the opposite direction. And in that sense, was actually leading to some of the problems I was alluding to. If you take away Section 230, you have a situation where 
you had Facebook being very preemptive, being very overly cautious. You saw satirical accounts finding themselves censored for mocking politicians, etc. So in a way, what we're seeing from Poland, it's early days. You know, it's not as if the ruling party there is particularly liberal by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't want to lionize it too much, certainly without seeing all of the detail. But it's an interesting push in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. which is to suggest that laws in relation to censorship will be decided by a democratic nation state and that we are concerned and do not want to allow these huge companies to almost interfere and extend censorship beyond the bounds through which we as a society have decided it should be. So it's an interesting development in that respect. And PJ, if I may add, I was just going to say, I think uh, Tom put his uh, finger exactly on it, in that I think what, what we're talking about here is not really... Although the power they have is is overwhelming and overwhelming power obviously will lead to corruption. Uh, Mm. I do think this is more a case of a bunch of people who never intended to be Mm. the owners of the public square having to contend with things that never existed before. The ability for a person to type something into their phone and start a massive rally somewhere it didn't really exist until 10, 15 years ago. So they're, they're dealing with the fact that these platforms they've created uh, have externalities, they have consequences which they didn't anticipate, and they're having to try and find some balance because they're under a lot of pressure. I mean, look at Sam Harris, the great thinker, uh, who came out only a week ago uh, and said that he was delighted that Donald Trump was censored uh, on Twitter and he mm-hmm. thanked Jack Dorsey for doing so. So if you're Jack Dorsey, you're under pressure from both sides and you're having to try and work out what the right path is. But as Tom, I think, rightly says, what has happened as a result is that being under all of this pressure, the, we're in this unique position now where actually, you know, we saw with Talk Radio's YouTube channel mm-hmm. being taken down Talk radio is regulated by Ofcom in this country, right? So the things that they were saying were not illegal and they were allowed to be said on their radio station, but were not allowed on YouTube. That is a a preposterous state of affairs if you think about it, because it tells you that the the YouTube is actually regulating things much harsher than our own legal representatives would want them to do. And yet they're doing that because they're under so much pressure from both sides. And I think this is why the political aspect of this is so important. Politicians need to make make it clear to the big tech companies what the rules should be. And that's why I am encouraged that there are, yes, it's in Poland. Yes, it's not yet law. Yes, we don't know exactly the details. But I think uh, politicians and our legal representatives, uh, legislative representatives need to start telling the big tech companies where the lines are. What do you think... Uh... What do you think the chances of that are? I mean, uh, you know, I know that we need to have this, but what what Tom outlined there in Poland, is there any chance of that here? I mean, that they could be so unequivocal? Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I almost think it doesn't really matter what the British government does on this. What matters is what the American government does yeah, on this yeah, and yeah. the next president of the United States is and uh, very left-wing journalist, Gren- Glenn Greenwald has done a lot of good work on this. And he's basically shown that the the Joe Biden cabinet is packed full of executives from the big companies, uh, big tech companies. So I'm not that optimistic. Uh, They also give a lot of money to both sides of the political spectrum, both here and in the United States. Uh, And so, yes, the the political system is filled with money and people from big tech. Uh, So, yeah, the idea that politicians will be uh, super keen to do this um, is, is, yeah, it's for the birds, I think. But that is probably the only route. Can I ask you, actually, Brad, you know, 
I know that, uh, you know, without wishing to sound patronising, you know, younger people in their 20s, one, one observation I've made is that they are much more, I mean, this sounds extraordinary, but they're much less passionate, shall we say, about censorship. They tend, they, you know, this idea of free speech doesn't have such a purchase as maybe it would have done a few years ago. It's almost like they're more concerned with concepts like safety and mm -hmm. concepts like not offending and things like this. Would you say that's a true characterization or not really? Yes, yeah, so I would say I think that the problem with young people today is that they're endorsing ideas that are kind of packaged as heretical as if they're, they're, they're really trying to punch upwards and that, they, that this is what um, this kind of censorship or, or, of Donald Trump has been. It's been a, a punch of the, the, this kind of uh, establishments uh, that, 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 sh that should be censored and they're fighting these kind of fictitious systems of oppression, the, the, these uh, white supremacist patriarchies, if you will. Yeah. And, and Obviously, these ideas do have their roots in the academy. It's what young people are being taught. Uh, we've seen that, that postmodernism has completely taken over yeah. all that students are learning. So they're, they're really trying to fight things that don't exist. And they're not too concerned with the, the, the material reality that, that we're facing. Yes. When we sort of look towards the, the future, whatever happens politically, I mean, you know, we do this channel here. And, Constant, you've been doing <clears throat> trigonometry for for longer. We we do the you know what is the kind of what is the lookout? I mean, you know, is do we have a kind of you know sort of Damocles over us or what? And if so, you know, what should we do? Well, this is the thing, Peter. I think I don't know why we haven't spoken about this aspect of it uh, in the past, but I imagine that you are having to make decisions about guests you have or don't have on the show, conversations you do or don't have on the show. We obviously at Trigonometry do the same because, uh, you know, we, we, are, we are trying to, to do the work that we do. But if we get deleted from YouTube today, that, mm -hmm. that will obviously stop, mm -hmm. right? So we, everybody is basically now in a position where you're probably not only seeing overt censorship from the big tech companies, you're also going to see a lot of self-censorship from people yes. who are trying to preserve what you know the channels a lot of self-censorship from people who are trying to preserve what you know the channels the business whatever it is that they've created and i think that is probably the most detrimental and deleterious aspect of this whole thing uh, and going forward i'm afraid uh what i see is we're all going to have to be extra careful if i may offer a note of optimism i think uh, i always think that human beings respond to incentives and if you create incentives uh, for people to fight this to create alternative platforms to create decentralized uh, social media platforms to uh, integrate bitcoin into microtransactions online because that's again decentralized and less subject to government control you may well see that this was actually the beginning of a process which leads to a completely different online space as a result that is the yes, great uh, hope whether Tom, there's I mean, any do you evidence think what it really it, needs is sort of like a I don't know, sort of a, a big like Elon Musk figure or something, someone like that to actually come along and create a whole new sort of system as a, a, a kind of global competitor to what we've got. Isn't that really what it needs? Well, it, perhaps, but I think this is one of the things is that we've been slightly kind of hostage to fortune or just waiting for either these mm. big tech companies to kind of sort themselves out in line with liberal principles 
or hoping someone would create an alternative. Now, as you say, someone of Elon Musk's stature might be able to pull it off in a way that Parler certainly wouldn't. They were crushed, as Constantine was saying, mm. um, in very short order, obviously in the wake of the kind of tension of, of last week. But again, the, the difficulty there is how do you not only kind of take on uh, these platforms which have these very serious policies, but also the way in which the tech firms, as we saw with the Parler situation, not only control the major platforms, shall we say, in the major search engines, but broadly speaking, the kind of infrastructure of the internet. I mean, when Apple and Google removed Parler from their um, respective app stores, that basically meant that that closed Parler off to any new users on the vast majority of smartphones in the world. Um, and then when you saw Amazon Web Services boot it off, you know, what was it, days later, that took it off of the internet entirely and created this kind of contagion effect that Constantine was talking about, where, again, anyone who was working with them in relation to banking or payment or whatever was suddenly very scared of touching them. So, again, we've gone from a discussion about um, why don't you just leave and set up your own platform to why don't you just leave, set up your own platform, set up your own cloud-based servers, set up your own payment setup. There's a certain point at which this becomes kind of insurmountable, you know, bar for the intervention of someone of such supreme stature that they would be able to, to make it happen. So what solutions to this are, I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of people talking about there'd be some sort of online bill of rights, online first amendment. How you do that on a global basis, I don't really know, would make much sense. But at the very least, I think we do need to recognise that this is serious and knock down those arguments which try to suggest this is like a restaurant kicking you out for upsetting the customers, all the ridiculous arguments we've seen recently. These companies have a material hold over vast ways of discussion. Um, and the first step to reckoning that is recognised. You know, this is why we do channels like we do, why you write what you do. It is extraordinary, is it not, that here we are in 2021 and actually this is the hottest issue. So, you know, this would, you know, I think I'm a bit older than most of you. You know, the idea that we would actually talk, be talking about the pros and cons of free speech is quite extraordinary and disturbing, isn't it? I mean, this... This point has been made so many times, but if you do pick up, like I did last night, 1984, you know, again, and just flick through it, it is quite, quite disturbing. Do you not find that we are actually even having to have these discussions now? It, this is really frightening. And I think it also reminds us that whilst there was a lot of kind of techno-utopianism around the internet when it first came out, these um, mechanisms and these technologies, they won't just liberate us kind of on their own terms kind of by themselves they do wrap themselves around and are wielded by yeah. people in politics they respond to our culture and our culture is increasingly censorious and what's so striking is i mean obviously we've seen issues of censorship on a legal level in the uk be wrapped up in recent years but if you even think about america it's so striking that in the land of the first amendment the arguments over freedom of speech are seen as not being applicable to the online sphere you know, America is a country in which card-carrying liberals in the form of the American Civil Liberties Union or other groups went to the wall in the 1970s defending the right of Nazis to march through Jewish towns because they genuinely believed that sunlight was the best disinfectant, that if you, um, again, allowed for censorship of these extreme people, then civil rights activists and everyone else would be caught up in the mess of that, who had really profound principles. And now what we're seeing is that even in a country like America, which has this rich free speech history, um, history of Supreme Court judgments, this very firm line on all of these things, that the culture, particularly in elite institutions, is such that censorship can still be wielded by other means. And what we're seeing now, especially with the, the marriage of big tech with the Democratic Party, as um, Constantine mm. was, was alluding to before, is 
outsourcing of hate speech laws to the private sector, effectively. Yeah. And I think it just reminds yeah. not just in Britain, where we have this longer history of hate speech legislation and restrictions on speech, but even in a country like America, this kind of Anglosphere culture, which is very hostile to the idea of freedom of speech, can make itself felt, even if it feels like the constitutional and legal protections against censorship are very strong. It just seems to be rampant at this point, to the point where it's just knocking down all before it. I think the point that Constantine made earlier, actually, as well about self-censoring, doesn't just apply to what we might do. It applies in everyday life as well. And I think increasingly people actually just preempt any kind of problem. Um, and, and I think you know that is that is an incredible worry. Um, but look, gentlemen, thank you very, very much for joining us. I mean, this is, uh, we're going to be revisiting this on a regular basis, something tells me. Um, but thank you for joining us to talk about it. Um, and um, we will hopefully see you in a few months' time and see what is progress, if any, has been made. So thank you very much to Brad, to Constantine and to Tom. Uh, that's it for Counterculture this week. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much.